Today's reading from the Word of God comes from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Please follow along in your own Bibles, on the screen behind me, or listen as I read the scriptures. Once again, that's Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. At that time, children are invited to join kids' crew through the door on your right. Hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And from Luke. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an, the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be an Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Ethan. I'm one of the pastors here at Anchor Bay Church, and I am so excited and blessed and eager to be worshiping with each of you today. Now, like we do each week, I invite you to join me in a moment of silence before the sermon. Take a moment to quiet your heart before the Lord. Ask God to help remove any distractions that you may have brought in here with you, and ask that the Lord meet you here today. After a moment of quiet, I'll pray for us. Holy God, we thank you for today, for the gift that worshiping together is. Lord, I pray that your presence will fill this place, that each of us will come to know you more today and experience your love in ways that we haven't before or haven't in a long time. We love you, Lord, and we pray that all that we do today will be glorifying to you and furthering to your kingdom. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, friends, happy belated Thanksgiving. I hope everyone had a really great holiday uh, spent with friends or family. I personally am still digesting all of the food that I ate on Thursday, but I love Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a really great time together with family and with friends. I love the delicious food, taking deliberate time to reflect on all that we're thankful for, watching the Detroit Lions lose every year. It's just a fun holiday all around. 
But I also really like the day after Thanksgiving almost as much as Thanksgiving itself. And it's not because of awesome Black Friday deals at Best Buy or because of leftover food from the day before. I like the day after Thanksgiving because it means that Christmas time is finally here. In our house, me and Kayla, there is a strict no Christmas stuff before Thanksgiving rule. Is anyone else like that here? Wow, there are so many of you that live in complete chaos. Wow, my sister is like that. She would listen to Christmas music in July. She probably does, actually. But for us, in our, as for me and my household, we listen to Christmas music the day after Thanksgiving. And from there on out, I mean, it's just full Christmas time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for a month. It's the day after Christmas when the Christmas tree goes up when the Muppet Christmas Carol gets turned on and it doesn't get turned off for a month, when the only thing I'm listening to all month long is Christmas music. It's a great season. But also, once Thanksgiving is done, that means that it's the start of our church Advent season. Now, like Pastor Brynn had said, Advent is what we call the season leading up to Christmas. It's the time that we take to celebrate the incredible story of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, being born to two unmarried teenagers surrounded by animals. The story of when a heavenly host of angels appeared to a bunch of shepherds in a field and proclaimed the glory of God. When wise men, these regal individuals, came and presented gifts for a king to a baby. It's when the world changed forever. Advent is a season of waiting. It's a time where we prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord. It's a season where we step into the biblical narrative along with the Israelites who had been waiting for so long for a Savior, and we await alongside with them. A season where we eagerly, anxiously, week by week, wait to celebrate the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So for the next five weeks, we will be pausing our sermon series about the Gospel of John, and instead we'll be taking a look at the Nativity narrative, that story of the birth of Jesus Christ from now all the way through to Christmas. Because after all, as great as Christmas trees and presents are, Jesus really is the reason for the season. And this is a picture of what I'm getting Pastor Bryn for Christmas this year. The cat's on the sweater. She's a pastor, so there's crosses on it, so it works. But friends, today we are finally kicking off our Advent Sermon series. And when the pastoral staff was brainstorming what our Advent series should look like, we thought it would be really cool to use an old Christmas song as the foundation. A song like, Oh Holy Night, or Away in a Manger, or Joy to the World. These songs are so rich in theology, and they're so full of biblical references and imagery. They tell us so much about the birth of Jesus, about God's great love for us in sending his one and only son, about the world's need for a savior. These Christmas songs are such great launching points to, tack to tackle and unpack the powerful reality of the birth of Christ in the Christmas season. So we wanted to use one of those songs as the touchstone for our series. I personally voted for Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer, but the staff team found that lacking in theology for some reason. But eventually, after talking about it, we landed on the Christmas song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, the song that we just sang a moment ago as the launching point for our new series, which is why we are calling this Advent series, Rejoice, Rejoice, a Savior Comes. 
Now, the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is a somewhat unique Christmas song because it doesn't center around the actual birth of Jesus. It doesn't talk about the night of his birth, like O Holy Night or Silent Night. It doesn't talk about the setting of his birth, like Away in a Manger. It doesn't, it's, not, it's not a celebration of how wonderful and incredible that event was, like joy to the world. Instead, it's a song about waiting for the birth of Christ. It's a song about hoping for that day, about the promise of a Savior to come. Like the season of Advent, this song is about waiting and hope. And that's because the lyrics of this song are largely taken from or inspired by uh, Old Testament books, prophetic books, namely the book of Isaiah. So throughout this sermon series, we will be spending time in the Gospel of Luke, walking through all the events that led up to the birth of Jesus, that classic nativity story. And we will also spend some time looking at the prophetic book of Isaiah, where Isaiah proclaimed that someday a Savior would come. And it's in this book of Isaiah that O Come, O Come, Emmanuel draws so many of his lyrics from. Essentially, that well-known hymn, O come, O come, Emmanuel, tells the story of an Old Testament prophecy from the book of Isaiah that is finally fulfilled in Christ. Because the birth of Christ wasn't just some random surprise event. The Israelites weren't just like hanging out like, hey, we've got everything we need, we are good, when Jesus was born. This had been an event that they had been waiting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for. It was an event that all the old, old prophets of God had been saying would someday come. It had been eagerly, anxiously, desperately waited for. So for us to understand the weight and gravity and importance of some virgin girl in Galilee having a baby, we have to understand all of the waiting that the Israelites had done. Isaiah was a prophet of God some 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And in Isaiah's day, the Israelites were on the brink of collapse. They were about to be captured by their enemies, the Babylonians. They were about to be taken from their homes, about to watch their temple where they had worshipped and experienced God destroyed. They were about to go to a foreign land, many of them never to return home again to be ruled and controlled by and oppressed by their enemies, all was looking lost for the Babylonians. And Isaiah promised that this was not the end of the story. God told Isaiah that he would send a Savior, that someday the Savior would come. God said, therefore the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And that name, Emmanuel, is Hebrew, what the Old Testament was written in, and it means God with us. Despite all the hardship that the Israelites will face, don't worry, God will be with them, a Savior will come. Despite the impending doom of a Babylonian invasion, don't worry, God will be with them, a Savior will come. Despite the prospect of being captured by a foreign enemy with foreign gods and taken to a foreign land, don't worry, God will be with them a Savior will come. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And not only that, but that Savior would do some incredible things. 
Uh, Isaiah said the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah said of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from, t- from that time on and forever. How great is that? So that Savior should be coming, right? Like, now? But a Savior didn't come to stop the Babylonians from attacking and conquering. A Savior didn't come to break them free of the Babylonians once they'd been captured. They stayed in captivity for over 70 years, long enough for at least one full generation to be born, live, and die in captivity. A Savior didn't come to help rebuild the temple once they were finally released from captivity and could return home, even when they faced opposition for years while rebuilding. They had been waiting and waiting and waiting for the Savior to come, for the sign of the virgin who would give birth, for Emmanuel to come. This is what had been promised to them. Where was it? Where was God? Have you ever felt like that? Like you're waiting for God, waiting for God to show up, waiting for God to heal a hurt or redeem a situation or answer a prayer? I remember back in 2011 when I got a call from my dad telling me that he had just been diagnosed with cancer. I remember the panic and the fear. I remember asking God, okay, where are you? You said you're with us, right? So, where are you? Have you ever felt like that? Like you've been waiting for God, waiting for something to change. The Israelites waited for centuries. They waited for hundreds and hundreds of years, waiting for Emmanuel, waiting for a Savior, waiting all the way up until our passage from the Gospel of Luke today, when all of a sudden, everything changed. Suddenly, one day, an angel of God appeared to Mary, a young, unmarried virgin in small-town Galilee, who had grown up waiting for a Savior just like her ancestors. All of a sudden, an angel appeared to her. And the angel says just the wildest thing, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And boy, I love her response. She's basically like, what is happening? And let me tell you, if I saw an angel appear before me and just yell, greetings, I also would probably have a heart attack. Because when when angels are described in the Bible, they have four heads and lots of wings and eyes all over their body. In the Bible, angels pull back the curtain between, uh, between the realm of the divine and earth. They offer us a glimpse of the larger universe. They challenge our ways. In Scripture, anytime someone encounters an angel, their life, and often the world, is unalterably changed. And almost always, the angels start the conversation with the same phrase, don't be afraid. Because almost 100% of the responses from people who see angels is just to totally freak out. And as Mary stood before this angel, she was greatly troubled and wondered what kind of message this might be. Yeah, I bet she was wondering that. 
But then the angel says something even more wild than its physical appearance, even more wild than it appearing to Mary. The angel says, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary is very understandably confused. She asks, how will this be since I am a virgin? How am I having this child? How is this possible? And to the original audience, this question that Mary asks would have stood out like there were giant arrows pointing right towards it because for generations they have been waiting for this exact moment. They have been waiting for the sign that the Lord had promised them that a virgin will conceive and give birth, that the Savior will come. And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And the angel finishes by saying one of the most beautiful truths in all of Scripture. For no word of God will ever fail. A Savior had been promised and a Savior was there. Because at the end of this nativity story, Spoiler alert, Jesus Christ is born. The Savior comes. Jesus, who is God, stepped into our world to proclaim good news to the poor, to bring sight to the blind, to bring freedom for the prisoners, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to reconcile us to him once and for all. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, touched the untouchable, loved the unlovable, forgave the unforgivable, welcomed the undesirable, and even now Jesus saves the otherwise unsavable. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come. The angel is saying, it is happening. Friends, this is the beauty of Advent. It's that the Savior has come. It's that Emmanuel is here. God is with us. We no longer have to wait for a Savior because a Savior has already come. In the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and for Isaiah and the ancient Israelites, it's all a hoped-for future. The Lord will give you a sign. You will call him Emmanuel. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee. But for us, it has happened. We don't have to wait for a Savior. The Lord is here. Jesus has come. Jesus has already lived, died, and rose again to reconcile us to God. We can put our faith and hope in the reality of Christ's life, death, and resurrection that our Savior has come and that our Savior lives. Praise be to God that our Savior lives, that he overcame sin and death and shame once and for all. We can finally be reconciled to and reconnected with him because of what he has done, because Emmanuel has come. And yet, friends, there is still waiting. We still practice waiting during Advent because although our Savior has come, when we look at the world around us, there are still things that we wait eagerly for. We still yearn for a day where there is no more injustice, pain, or death. 
We can relate to those who have been, who had been waiting for the promised Savior for centuries because there are still things that we wait for ourselves. We're still waiting for justice to be upheld for those who face racial hate or discrimination. We're still waiting for the 407,000 foster children across the United States to be united with families who will love them as they are. We are still waiting for wars between nations to cease. We're still waiting for the world to recover because of our inability to steward it properly. We're still waiting for the day when Christ comes again in all of his glory. Like Revelation 21.4 says that when there will be no more tears and no more death and no more mourning or crying or pain. That day will come eventually, yes, but until then, friends, we wait. And we wait confident in the hope that we have in Christ. We wait knowing that no word of God will ever fail knowing deep down in our bones that God will always do what he says, that his speaking is his doing, that a Savior has come. And maybe you're thinking right now, Ethan, that's great. Like, I get the future waiting. We're waiting for things to happen in the future, but what if I still feel like I'm in a place of waiting right now? What if I still feel like I'm waiting for God to show up? What if I'm hurting or alone or struggling and feel like I'm still waiting for something to happen? Friends, it's important to note that even for Mary in this story, there was still a lot of waiting. The angel didn't appear, and all of a sudden, everything was just great, and Mary was fine. Mary still had to carry the baby and wait for him to come. Mary had to face her community as an unmarried girl who was pregnant, which would have been tremendously shameful in that culture. She had to figure out how to be a mother when she was trying to figure out how to be a wife, how to get married, how to be an adult. There was still plenty of waiting to be done and plenty of pain ahead for Mary before all those wonderful things that the angel had promised about the baby would come true. And sometimes our periods of waiting are so hard when we feel like we're still waiting for God to show up, when we're mourning a miscarriage, when we're processing life after a divorce, when we're grieving the loss of a friendship or a relationship, when we're struggling with unemployment or financial insecurity and we feel like we could barely keep our head above water, when we or someone we love has a health scare, when we've wanted a baby for so long but we're facing infertility, when we feel distant from God and don't know how to connect with Him anymore, when we feel like we're waiting and waiting and waiting for God, it can be so hard and it can be so lonely. Now, we didn't talk about it today. We didn't read this passage today, but right before the story of Mary and the angel, there's another story about a woman named Elizabeth. Elizabeth was Mary's relative, and she and her husband, Zechariah, were both very old, and Elizabeth was unable to have children. And yet an angel appeared to them as well, months before appearing to Mary, and told them that they too would have a baby. Despite being quite old, Despite Elizabeth being barren all of her life, they were having a baby as well. And that baby would grow up to be John the Baptist, a prophet of God, the one who baptizes Jesus. So when Mary asks the angel, how can this be? This is impossible. The angel says, hey, look, Elizabeth is having a baby too. 
She is going through what seems impossible as well, but through God, all things are possible. God gives Mary the assurance of his word, the assurance that no word of God will ever fail, that he always does what he says, but he also points Mary towards someone who gets it, who understands, who has been there too. God doesn't just say, just, just believe it, Mary, okay? He points Mary towards Elizabeth. Because friends, even in the midst of our waiting, we can have hope by, lo- by looking at what God has done or is doing, not only for us, but for those around us. When we are in a period of waiting, we can look to others around us, our friends, our family, our church community, people in this room who understand. We can find others who have experienced a miscarriage or a divorce or a lost relationship or infertility or feeling distant from God. And we can see the ways that God has been at work in their lives and has proven himself faithful, faithful to them. To see how the word of God never fails, even when it's hard for us to see that ourselves. And that's not to say that when we're in a period of waiting or pain where we feel like we're waiting for God to show up, that we should just look at others and say, see, they seem fine. I should be fine. This isn't a call to just get over it or to convince yourself that your pain or your waiting or your struggles aren't important or real. Instead, I'm saying that you are not alone. And sometimes when it's hard to see God or his faithfulness to us, when we're waiting, seeing how someone else has experienced something similar, and seeing God through it can encourage and strengthen us. Or we can find others who are in the thick of it too. I would imagine Mary took so much comfort in the fact that Elizabeth not only understood her situation, but that she was in the thick of it too. They were both still waiting for what the Lord had promised them to become true. Maybe we can find someone who has gone through a period of of waiting similar to ours, and they can comfort counsel and guide us. Or maybe we can find others who are going through it right now. People who can sit with us and pray with us and empathize with us and cry with us and process with us. Because when it's hard to see God or his faithfulness to us, when we are waiting, we can rely on our brothers and sisters in Christ around us to help us, to help point us towards him. I remember back in 2011, when my dad was diagnosed with cancer. And I remember the panic and the fear. I remember the horrible, scary season of waiting. And praise the Lord, my dad is now five years cancer-free. Hallelujah. But through those years of waiting, his treatment and the years of waiting to make sure that the cancer didn't come back right away, there was so much waiting. So many years of asking God for help, for healing to show up. And yet through all of that, even when it was hard to see God and God's faithfulness, I had many Elizabeths in my life. I had amazing siblings who were in the thick of it as well, obviously. They were going through it too, who prayed and cried and processed and waited alongside me. I had a dear friend who had lost a family member to cancer a few years before, who had gone through it, who understood it, who had processed it already who was still grieving in many ways, but who was able to point me me towards God, his goodness and his faithfulness, who reminded me that no matter what, no word of God will ever fail and that God is with us. So friends, in this season of waiting, we have hope in the reality of the nativity narrative, in the message of Advent, that just like God promised, Emmanuel has come 
Emmanuel, which means God with us has come. God is with us. Even in our waiting, even in our hurting, even in our wandering, God is with us. And he is a God who stepped into this world to live among us, to love us, every inch of us, to suffer like us, to die for us. A Savior who ultimately rose from the dead to reconcile us to him once and for all. God said that he would be with us, Emmanuel, and no word of God ever fails. One thing that has always stood out to me about that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is the music of it itself. Because as you listen to it, it has a much different feel from songs like Away in a Manger or Joy to the World. Instead, it often has a slow, almost sad feeling to it. It can almost sound like a funeral march sometimes as it talks about waiting and waiting and waiting. And yet, each verse ends with the same refrain, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And that line, musically, is brighter and it's louder and it's higher than all of the other lines in the song. Rejoice, it says. Rejoice, even in the waiting, because a Savior is coming. Because even in our waiting, we have hope in Christ. Let's pray. Christ, you are so good to us that even in the midst of our waiting, we have the hope that you offer us, the reality of your birth and your life and your death and your resurrection. Lord, this Advent season, as we eagerly and anxiously await the day where we celebrate your birth on Christmas Day, Lord, I pray that you will shape and mold our hearts to be ones that seek after you, that seek after justice, seek after love. Lord, I pray that you will guide us to others who are waiting, who have gone through a period of waiting, people that we can connect with. We can share how God, how you have been faithful to us. And in the, in the seasons where we are waiting, Lord, I pray you will guide us towards people who can help us see that you are with us, even in our waiting. We love you, Lord. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.